Good morning, friends. I don't even have to say my name anymore. You guys got it. Good morning. Hello. My name is Kaeo, and I'm glad to be joining all of you today. So go ahead and take out your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 27. And um, that video is great. It has a lot of good points that we're going to hit on today, uh, and even more so tonight. Um, but while you're turning there, it's a really funny story to share. Um, we... Uh, me and my wife travel a bit. Uh, she'll be here later this afternoon, so make sure you say hi, because uh, some of you are like, I don't think your wife's real. You say there's a story about her, and we don't see her. She's here, I promise. Well, she's not here yet, but she exists. Um, and then you'll be like, wow, okay, you are short. So, uh, but we travel a bit, and uh, one time we were in a country that has, like, monkeys, a lot of monkeys. Um, and they were talking about how, like, to capture these monkeys, because they get annoying in the village that they're in. And so... They, I'd be like, why? Monkeys are cute and they're adorable. And they're like, no, they eat all our food. I'm like, oh, okay, it makes sense. Um, and so what they would do uh, is they couldn't just like put out like a normal trap to get the monkey in. They're like too smart, I guess. I don't know. Let me know monkey ecology. Um, but uh, anyways, they're too smart. So what they would do is they would take like these gourds and attach them to trees. Uh, and like they would haul out the gourd. And they'll put some fruit, some honey in there uh, in the gourd. And, uh, and it's pretty, this, this, this technique is pretty well known. So you've, if you've been around the world a while, you've probably heard it before, or you've heard pastors use this illustration before. But the idea is, I actually got to see it. So they go ahead, they make a hole inside the gourd. The monkey smells like the sweet fruit and honey and stuff. They put the hand in um, the gourd, and they'll grab it. But then at this point now, right, their hand, like to go in, and it goes like this, but then their hand is now pretty big with the things that they are grabbing. And then the entrance to the gourd is actually smaller now. So when they try to pull out, what happens? They can't. They can't get out. And, um, and they'll stay here forever, uh, one of the guys said. He was like, dude, I don't know. They're so smart. But when they have this thing that they think is so worth it, so delicious, so good, um, when they think they have it all, they hold on to it. And they don't realize that that's what, ca- what, what catches them is that they're not willing to let go. They're just not willing to let go. If they would let go and go find the fruit, just like two trees down, up actually in the tree, um, they would live. What happens is they get stuck, they get trapped, and then they get removed. I don't really know what they do. But um, they get trapped, and it's all because they're not willing to let go. So if you're, right, if you're taking notes, write down. Your first question for today is, what am I not willing to let go? What am I not willing to let go? That's something we need to think about all through today is, what am I not willing to let go? And that's what we see in King Nebuchadnezzar's life and kind of in the video with um, the king. Uh, even with all the times he proclaimed with his mouth and even gave decrees across the land to worship God, he didn't do the one thing God was asking him to do, which was to surrender his lordship of his own life to the loving God of the universe. Really quickly, how that even pertains to us is sometimes maybe in this room, I listen, I don't, I, I have really enjoyed getting to know you, but I I, I'll be honest, I may know of you, I don't know you. Some of you, I don't even know your names yet. I know some of your names, right? And so I don't know what you walked in these doors or walked up this hill with or drove up this hill with. Um, I don't know. I don't know where you stand before, before you and the Lord. And that's really your, your, that's your stuff. Um, it's not my job to dictate what your relationship would be like. But if I could encourage you with one thing and challenge you with one thing, it's do you only think of God as your Savior or do you think God is your Lord as well? And the reason why I want to introduce this question right now is oftentimes we'll say, yes, I know I'm going to heaven. God, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven, like Jesus, my Lord and Savior. But then we just say, we really focus on that Jesus is our Savior. We don't really recognize that Jesus is our Lord. We trust God with our eternity, not with our day-to-day. Okay? And so 
that's what I want you to think about. Oh, do I trust God with my day to day? Am I, every decision that comes to my mind, am I looking at what the Bible says? Am I trusting what God says? Am I even going to him in prayer first? We love to trust God with where we're going to, like when, we, when our time here is done. We don't really necessarily trust God with our day to day. And so that's kind of what King Nebuchadnezzar's at. So he still hasn't surrendered his heart to the Lord. And uh, even God, multiple times at this point, you see in the video, reaches out to him. Specifically now, it's through a dream um, to call him to hand over the idol of himself, right? His idol is actually himself, okay? He worships control. He worships that he is God. And then God himself reaches out, trying to encourage him to surrender. And that's where we get that dream, right? That large tree, um, the animals are using it for shade, and then all of a sudden, an angel comes down, and it cuts down the tree. That's what it says. In your, I'm just summarizing what it says in Scripture. And then uh, Daniel interprets it and says, hey, <laughs> kingdom of Knesset, that tree is you. You're great in strength and might and splendor, but God will come and radically humble you and cause you to live with the beasts of the field and become like, uh, <laughs> and just be with yourself for seven years, all right? And so then uh, Daniel, you know, just goes and says, this must be this way. And this is where we get to verse 27. Daniel says, hey, look, Nebuchadnezzar, there is hope here, all right? So verse 27, what chapter? Four. Four. Great, we're there. So it says, therefore, uh, Daniel's talking. He says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities, which is another way of saying sin here, right, by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel offers hope. He says, hey, this is, hope. This is what could happen to you. Um, but Neb's life, if you think about it, this is not the first time we've seen his own idolatry of self. Okay? Back in chapter 2, uh, he has a dream again, doesn't surrender his heart to the Lord. Uh, remember last night we talked about how the fiery furnace... Nebuchadnezzar realizes, wow, like the God of Israel is the God, let's worship him. And then all of a sudden, four verses later, what does he build? An idol, okay? All throughout Nebuchadnezzar's life, he struggles with this idea of I am Lord or I am king. And listen, can I be really honest? I, so when I read this, I'm like, gosh, you're a villain. It's tough. You know, like, dang, I like Daniel, I don't like you. <laughs> and... What's so funny is I want you to see one more time before I make this point that Nebuchadnezzar all of a sudden is like, you know what? You're right, Daniel. I'm not going to do this, okay? And then he decides to choose. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. What does he do? He goes, all of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which, what? I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of what? My majesty. Okay, really quick. If you're ever wondering if you're the idol in your life, when you pray, is it mainly I or is it mainly you? Okay, just a thought. Um, just a thought. <laughs> So who does he choose? Who is he still, who's still on the throne? Is it God? No, no, it's who? Neb, in his mind, sorry. In real, yes, in reality, God is on the throne. Yes, I got you. Way to go, people. Yeah, but he says, look at the empire I've created. Look, he's talking, this is literally, he's in idolatry. He's, uh, uh, this is an idol in his life. He gives full attention, affection, and adoration to himself. And when we look at the book of Daniel, like I said earlier, when I was reading this, I was like, gosh, Nebuchadnezzar is tough. I really want to be like Daniel. And then the Lord has been so kind, so kind, 
Um, I'll just talk about myself. And if the Holy Spirit convicts you, that's you, not me, all right? But especially after last night's message, I'm just like, I want Daniel. I want to be Daniel. I want to be his buddies. Like, I have faith like that. God's going to rescue me through these things. And then I realized, wait, I am Nebuchadnezzar. I desire control. I want to be autonomous and self-sufficient. I don't want to depend on other people. It looks weak to depend on other people. At least the society we live in, to depend on others means you are not self-sufficient and independent. And in the great Western society we live in, independence is king. And so to be self-sufficient is, is glorified, and to depend on others isn't. Uh, we worship other things and other places and spaces where God should be in our lives. On a bad day, I'm Nebuchadnezzar, and I would argue on a bad day, we all are Nebuchadnezzar. We desire to be king of our own lives. And this, and just like the sin that's in Nebuchadnezzar's life, right, that separates him uh, from God, it's the same thing for us. Our own sin separates us from a holy God. God's word says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Does it say some? No. What does it say? All. It says all, Right? So, really quickly, we have to break down this word called sin, okay? Because sin seems like such an archaic word. When I talk to students, they're like, sin is so old, Kael. It doesn't, it's not, it's not slay. I was like, what? Not slay? What is this word, right? I'm not even that old and the, the, the thing changes, okay? And so the idea is, I, I literally was like, Sin is slay? No, that doesn't make sense. Um, so sin seems so archaic of a word that people often dismiss it. Like, oh, that's for old people. That's, like, that's why we even think sometimes the Bible doesn't matter because we think it's so old, right? But this word matters. Uh, I've heard explain, I'm going to offer you just some several explanations of how to help for us to like, wrap our mind around sin. Um, people have explained it before. I've had youth pastors explain it to me before that sin is everything and anything that does not honor God or goes against God. Pretty pretty big, like, general picture. I've had people say that sin is missing the mark, right? And in, in Hebrew, uh, sin means chata, uh, right? The idea that, like, you're going to miss the goal. Um, we've heard it before where sin's like an archery term, which is, like, missing the mark, where you're supposed to get a bullseye, and you miss it, and that's sin. Um, I've also recently heard it as sin is the attempt to meet my deepest needs through my own resources. And that got me, because I was like, wow, there are a lot of times I do not go God's way, and I choose my own. Um, And I think to fully understand what sin is, we have to go back to the beginning. All right? We just have to. And so Genesis chapter 3, some of you are familiar with it. I think to the point that we're so familiar with it, we lose the awe of what God's grace is because we have diminished what sin looks like in our life. So Genesis chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. If you want to, you can write it down. But look, Adam and Eve had no problem believing in God. They literally saw him. But what, uh, what I think that got them was trusting him. Most of our sin isn't necessarily that we don't believe that God exists. Most of our sin is because we don't believe or we don't trust that God's way is better. And so Adam and Eve, right, they're in the garden. They end up thinking that God might be holding out on them. They maybe, have, they maybe want more control uh, that will lead to more flourishing like God commanded them to do. And they also just desired to maybe be on the same level of God. They wanted that relationship with him. Uh, and they trusted themselves and so the God they believed in, and a good desire uh, by the wrong means can never satisfy that, that desire. The best thing you can do is numb it. So what happens is they take the fruit and they eat it. 
I recognize there's temptation, but let's, let's, let's break that down really quickly. Temptation isn't necessarily sin. James walks through this whole pro, like, progression of sin. Sin is the act on temptation. Okay? So they act on it, they take it, they receive it. And then what happens after that, most of you kind of understand or remember, but ideally, if you don't, I'll walk you through it in a great summarized way. The human response to sin is to hide. It's just, it's our response. Some of you... <laughs> pictured your own sin and then therefore your own hiding. The fact that some of you don't even want to think about your sin is your own way of hiding. And so uh, the human response to sin is to go into hiding. God sees them hiding, which is so funny to us. It's so funny to me. I, I read that story, and yet in my own life, I'm like, yeah, Lord, you don't see me. Ha, 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 ha. Like, you can't hide from God. It's just not possible. All-knowing, right? I think it's so funny. He's like, where are you, Adam and Eve? Like, he doesn't already know, you know? Um, and so he sees them hiding, and then God because he's a holy God, and what sin does is it separates us. He, he was just like, hey, you have to leave the garden. You have to leave the garden. And so they get separated, and, and that's why I want you to write down, if you haven't written down anything yet, sin separates us from God and each other. I think oftentimes we think sin is just between us and the Lord. We think sin is personal. It's about self. But sin actually affects not just our own selves, but other people too. Like, just for instance, you guys remember the story of Jonah and the whale? Okay, I know it's not even about Daniel, uh, but I want to show you two stories, right? Jonah the whale and Daniel. Jonah, right, he's like, ah, oh, I'm supposed to go to Nineveh. I'm supposed to go talk to uh, them and tell them about, like, how they should repent. And he's like, you know what? I don't think they deserve it. He decides he is king of his life and can make decisions. He goes, he runs away, ends up on a boat. It was just him on the boat. No, there's other sailors. A storm comes for Jonah, who's affected. The sailors, too. Same thing for Nebuchadnezzar. Most will, all the time, he's like, I'm Lord of my life. I'm king. He's making decisions. Who does that affect? Just himself as king? No. All the people that he reigns over. We think that sin only affects us, and can't, that is the biggest lie sin wants to tell you. Sin actually affects you and other people. Think about it. Let's just do one example. <clears throat> Lying. You can lie to yourself, great. But what happens is that lies often break trust with other people, not just yourself. Okay? Sin is not just for self, or doesn't just affect self, it affects other people. And I, I can kind of see in your faces right now, you guys are like, hold up, Ka'o. if God is so loving, why did he put that tree there in the first place? And uh, I don't have a lot of time to walk through that doctrine of theology, but the idea is that God is a God of relationship. He himself is love. He created us that we might choose him and to forsake all else and to choose him, right? But yet, what did Adam and Eve choose in that moment? God's way or their way? They chose themselves over God. So in that moment, they had to go. And we see that effect, the effects of that decision everywhere. Sin is everywhere. I mean, you think about it. Think about it. If you, uh, blink twice if you have younger siblings. All right, cool. It's like here. All right, cool. Um, Younger siblings, uh, do you realize that, like, uh, we never really have to teach, um, or we always have to teach uh, our, our young ones how to share? They never just freely give things. Never. Uh, did you realize that most of the time, I say most, there's always, like, I can't say all, most young ones, one of their first words other than mom and dad is usually my, me or mine. That's mine. That's mine. Um, and... Uh, have you noticed that no one really had to teach you how to lie? You kind of knew it yourself. 
bizarre. Um, we had to teach you how to say the truth. <laughs> Interesting. I feel like that one should have been the one that was in our core DNA, right? Um, you know, I, I, I just, that's just some. Okay, not also just like the fact that the world is broken and the broken condition of humanity and the fact that illness and all that stuff wasn't designed at the beginning and now it exists. That's a whole other thing. But just looking at yourself, there are things that you didn't have to be taught. Bless you. Right? Okay, we had to be taught to say bless you. Normally, we'd be like, tough. Right? Okay? Do you see what I'm saying? We are selfish people. We are very selfish people. Look, I'll just be honest really about me. If any of you come across me eating ice cream, you don't get a bite. All right? If my wife was here, she'd laugh because it's always the same story. Every time, she's like, hey, you want to share? I'm like, no. <laughs> ice cream. We, we can spend an extra $2 so you get your own scoop, you know? Like, I just won't share ice cream. And yet, I'm supposed to be like, wait, I'm a follower of Jesus. I should probably share, <laughs> you know? Um, look at what Paul, write, uh, write down because we don't have time. Write down Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 dash 3. Okay, so Ephesians 2, colon 1 dash 3. That's where we're going to hang out this morning and tonight. So I'm going to read it to you Ephesians 2, 1 dash 3. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Right? Among them, were two, uh, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, nat- or were by nature children of wrath, even as uh, the rest of the world. And so, from the beginning, right, because of Adam and Eve's sin, we were already pff, us and God, okay? And it should have been us with God, and this is where we were. And uh, so we are lost. We are separated from God. We are blind to the things of God. We make our homes in the dark. Sin masters us. It rules us, and it dominates us. We are people of high ideals and very weak wills of big dreams and small deeds, high hopes, and low living. Like, I, I had a student. His name was Jake Flippo. He's really cool. I really liked his last name. He's Italian. And uh, he, this con- just so you know, this conversation uh, was... So good, I called him and I said, hey, Jake, I know you're in college now. I'm speaking at uh, Hume, it's a Christian camp in California, and I really want to use this story. Uh, do I have your permission? He was like, dude, okay, that was so long ago, I'm embarrassed, I'm embarrassed. I was like, it's great. So, um, so Jake and his best friend, Jack, and, uh, and they're, really, they're really near to my heart, like they're sophomores in college, and they still call me once a week and check in. And uh, you may not know what Cane's Chicken is, but Cane's is really good chicken. It's really good chicken. And people, I often argue it is God's chicken. People, ah, people say it's Chick-fil-A is God's chicken, but then I say, but then I say Cane's is open on Sundays. Um, and so, I don't know. But then people argue about Sabbath and whatever. So whatever, it gets this whole thing. Um, but we're at Cane's, so casual. It's casual, okay? This isn't a coffee shop. It's Cane's chicken. We're eating chicken. And uh, Flippo, he goes, uh, hey, K-A-O, sin carries weight, right? And if you don't know me, we have a lot of time together. I always ask questions. I don't really, like, say things. And I was like, yeah, I think it does. And that's because Isaiah 43, it says that the Israelites burden God with their sins. So I'm assuming there's some kind of weight. Um, and then Jack, his buddy, goes, wait, how much? Like, 145? I can bench that. Jack, you're in eighth grade. Jack was in eighth grade when he said that. I was like, Jack, you can't bench 145. But I didn't say that. I was just like, oh, that's awesome. Cool. Um, and then I, I go, well, I don't know. Like, how much does it feel to you is what I say. And then Jack goes, I don't know, my friends don't feel the weight of their sin at all. 
And then Jake, which I really want him to be a pastor because he's just phenomenally just wisdom of discernment. He goes, well, I think spiritually dead people don't feel anything. I think we feel the way of our sin is because we're spiritually alive. If you are calloused by your sins, my friends, I have to argue the fact that maybe, just maybe, you might be spiritually dead. You're saying you're living for Jesus, but you actually aren't. And look, I hate, listen, I hate defining that for you. One of the things that I struggle with is telling people, hey, you really need Jesus. <laughs> because I need him just as much as you do. And sometimes I don't feel like I have the right to say that to you. I am not a perfect individual. I'm far from it, very broken. And I don't like to be the one that's like, dude, sorry, man, I don't think you know Jesus. Um, but I do, I, it would be a miss and it would be unkind if I didn't take a moment to say, hey, maybe, just maybe, if sin doesn't get a hold of your life and somehow, like, where you're not aware of it, I must argue the fact that maybe you don't actually know Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're just a cultured Christian. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. Or maybe you just walked away for so long that you don't even know what God is anymore. You've, it's a friend that you don't even remember his, his voice. I don't know. But maybe you're no different than Nebuchadnezzar. And so what can we do about it? Can we earn our way uh, out of sin? Can we rescue ourselves? Well, the answer is no. Scripture says that even our best deeds are filthy rags because we are stained by sin. Uh, we played like this tie-dye game. I don't know if you've done that at youth group before, but we played this tie-dye game in the summer and we, I, to make it, I had a bunch of dye on my hand. And it was like, no matter what I did under the water, I couldn't get it off. I couldn't. Even like the paint on this side would then stain this side. The next thing you know, I'm staining the sink. I'm like, oh, goodness, the church didn't get really mad at me. And it just kept getting stained everywhere. All right? And sometimes that's, that's, that's just a physical representation of us trying to get sin off ourselves. It just doesn't work. I need something outside of me to help this out. Okay? We need something outside of us to help us out. And so neither can ourselves clean the stain of sin in our lives. The cost of sin is too great for me to pay. I need someone else to pay it for me. And this payment is going to cost our whole eternity. We need a savior, someone who's untouched by sin and is free from the eternal debt of sin, someone who knew no sin to rescue us, pay our debt, and save us from sin and the wages of death, which that's what it calls for. We need to be rescued, and that can only be rescued by God. We need a Savior. And so the last thing I want you to think about, we're going to end a little bit early today. Well, uh, oh, my part, there's more things for you to do. Um, but I really want you to think about this, okay? Hey, what is it that's getting in the way of my relationship with Jesus? Is it myself? Is it insert sin here? Is it, I don't even know who he is? I don't know what that is for you. And I want you to think about it today. Speaking of the monkeys, in that same place that we were visiting, uh, they talked about how they have this like, little like, adage that they say in the village where uh, if a monkey is stuck, in, there are two monkeys, which is so funny. That whole thing's about monkeys. But if you think about it, it's because monkeys are all around their lives. And they said, look, one monkey was on the side of this like, quicksand, and another monkey was sinking in the quicksand. And the monkey, the monkey on land goes, hey, just pull yourself out. Pull yourself out. And the other monkey's like, how? He goes, well, by your ears. I, listen, I can, I, I can literally cannot pull myself out. 
But yet, that is what we do with our relationship with God. I'll do better. I'll be better. I'll do better. And that's not the gospel. But our sin likes to lie and tell us, you can do it. But remember, we have weak wills. It doesn't last that long. And sure enough, the monkey can't get out. And what does he need in order to get out of that quicksand? The other monkey. He needs someone else. He can't do it himself. Let's pray. God, I pray for me and my friends, first and foremost, just recognizing, Lord, I, listen, I, look, God, I don't like looking at my sin. I don't like being reminded that I am not good and I'm not perfect and I'm uh, just a disappointment to you. Those are, the, those are the lies that come immediately to me in my own heart. And so, so, Jesus, I pray that you'd meet us where we're at this morning, recognizing that in order for us to know your good grace, we have to know our terrible sins. And so, God, I just ask, in the places that we've missed the mark, would you reveal that to us? Just like David, the psalmist, writes, hey, Lord, search me, O God, if there's anything that's unpleasing in my heart. Would you bring that up, Lord? And I pray, God, that during today that we maybe write that down or we'd be bold enough to share with our counselors or um, even just to you, recognizing that you want to hear those things as well. So, Lord, I pray, God, that even though we sit in the tension of recognizing that we are in need of a Savior and we can't do it ourselves, um, God, would you remind us of the truth? Um, and Holy Spirit, would you not necessarily shame us, God, but would you remind us of how much we need you? We pray all these things in your son's name and we said, amen.